Hello and welcome to Real Professional, the podcast where real professionals have really professional conversations about the gaming industry. I'm DreadXP Rock on Tour Jans Holstrom, joined today, as always, by Abby Smith, aka Scruncho. Say hi, Abby. Yo. Also joined by Ted Hinchke. Say hi, Ted. Hello. And our guest today has already made me feel old in our pre-talk. It is Connor Rush, founder of Fire Games. Say hi, Connor. Hello. So we have a whole crew today, so it's going to be a great show. DJ, drop that sick beat. safety update me i wait for it all week i'm like scared all week until i get it i i i've given the events of the world i felt very unsafe so right now i could use one so we've talked about vr we've talked about sitting wrong we've talked about all these bad things that can happen but today we're going to talk about a less physical issue and that is mental health gaming and mental health uh they go hand in hand Especially since this whole, there's something that happened in the last couple of years where people had to be inside more. Not sure what's up with that. But previous studies showed that playing games by yourself could cause depression. The isolation of just sitting and playing a game by yourself. So doctors are encouraging people not to play, like, more online games. Because, as we all know, playing a Call of Duty game in the year of our Lord 2022 is actually like psychic damage yeah i was just gonna say because like honestly i don't get depressed single playing single player games but like watching you miss headshots every time yeah like you hop on call of duty a 14 year old calls you a slur and your day is just that's your day but doctors are encouraging people to talk to friends while playing games which is something that we do you know occasionally just hop on the discord chat with somebody just so you're not isolating yourself is it telling that I exclusively play, like, single-player games? <laughs> I also play a lot of single-player games. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring lately, but I occasionally reach out and, and chat with somebody. Is Elden Ring single-player? Yes. Uh, well, it's a, well, it has multiplayer functionality if you want it, like all from software games. You know what? That's a really interesting thought, though, because I... I've often thought about why certain genres draw certain crowds... And I've always thought that, like, the grand strategy crowd was, like, drawn in uh, a certain demographic. Because I don't think of anyone else. I don't think this is, like, very shocking for people to find out that, like, a lot of, like, there is a rather uh, insidious alt-right element to, like, grand strategy and tactics gaming. Um, Like, war gaming in general. There's, like, some people that are doing it to, like, cosplay as Nazis and shit. Um, And it's, like, it's it's interesting because, like, you know, it's not like there's other games where you can't, like, play as Nazis, you know, like you, you play Call of Duty, you know, and, and like, like the original Call of Duties and like, but they didn't seem to have that element. And it, it might very well be that, you know, that kind of, because a, a game of Heart of Hearts of Iron takes what, like six years to finish, something ridiculous. And uh, maybe it's just because like, it, it kind of draws in that black held mindset of like, haha, I am the master of my own destiny, but only in this very, very constrained way. And actually it's making me depressed, you know? I feel like, yeah, whenever you sit there 
and you're like, self-determination, I am lord of this domain. Um, yeah, it's just isolating you. And I just imagine, like... Though, I feel like there is some sort of, like, like benefit, uh, like, emotionally to playing multiplayer games, because, like... You're not you're not duke like dunking on an AI. You're dunking on some other people, and it's like some some people are really into that. They're like ah aha, just just like shat on you a gazillion times. I'm top of the charts here. Like I guess guess that could like make some people feel some sort of satisfaction the, perhaps the is, in multiplayer yeah. games. Dunking and getting dunked is part of the human condition, and as long as it's done in like a nice neutral way. Like, you know, th there's a big difference between, like, calling someone a racial slur in Call of Duty and, like, getting, like, completely curb-stomped, like, six six kills in a row and getting, like, rageful and quitting, you know? Talking about the racial slur thing. I'm, I'm talking about the satisfaction for some people. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm just clarifying for our four listeners what I was, what I meant to say. I don't want people to think that I'm, like, you should be subjected to hate speech online. And, you know, Certainly. some people like to get dunked on because they're filthy little pain pigs. Yeah, they're little pain oh, piggies. No. They love they're it. Using, they're using the pain piggies again. You guys have to go, for Connor's sake and our listener's sake, you have to you have to I... explain the pain piggy. Oh, it's an easy explanation. There's a character in Sucker for Love named Esther, and the fans that are fans of her, they love it when we, like, temporarily ban them or tell them that they, like, are going to horny jail. They're, they're, they're like, yeah. Yeah, they're little pain piggies, and they love it. And it's fine, because they have their little... They have a little. We have a little channel for all the pain piggies to hang out. It's called the Pain Trough, and they all they all just sit there and they. We walk in once a day and we just deliver some razor tail whips to them, and they're like, ee! and that's it. And, and Jans, Jans, how do you feel about uh, being the cause for someone like getting really excited on the Discord server? How does that make you feel? So I kind of have a story about this. If anyone wants to hear it, um, I am hundred percent interested. Unwittingly being part of someone's uh, fetish, or someone's kink. <laughs> Uh, I used to, to deliver pizzas whenever I was younger. And one day I took, I had two meat lovers pizzas. I remember the guy's order. I went to his house and it was kind of out in the country, but everything's out in the country where I live. And I get Yeehaw. there and he opens the door and there's like a 60 inch flat screen behind him playing like the most intense pornography I've ever seen. Like people being electrocuted and shit. It was hardcore. And he just looks me right in the face and, like, signs for... He's, like, sweaty. And he signed for the pizza, signed the little credit card receipt. And, like, did not address the fact that he had porn, like, four feet behind him. And no one else was in the house. And he had two large meat lovers pizzas. So I guess he was building up, like, a powerful fucking hunger. That's because all the people in his house were locked in the basement. I, I, uh, I deliver, yeah... Only in Oklahoma, folks. So that was actually live stream footage. I, I delivered Jimmy John's to an orgy once. Nice. And uh, it wasn't like a big. It was a Phoenix or it was a. It was like a. It was a Mesa, Arizona orgy, which is like the shitty part of Phoenix. <laughs> and so I, I roll in, and uh, the lights are all off. I wasn't sure if it was even the right building, but I was like, "This is this is what it says." And I knocked, and like no one answered. So I was like, "Hey, I got your sandwiches." Like, and so like I leave them on the front porch, and I start walking away. And, like, as I'm walking away, I see, like, the door creak open a little bit and this, like, hand come out. I'm like, oh, hey, I need you to sign. And he's like, ugh, he caught me, like, grabbing the sandwiches. And he opens. He's in, like, a bathrobe. And behind him there's, like, four other clearly tweaker, tweaked out people, like, on, in bathrobes. Like, and there's no, like, there's no other situation that you're having a bathrobe party with meth. You know? Like, you're having <laughs> a weird orgy. Cult meeting. Maybe. Maybe it was a cult meeting. 
Maybe that, yeah. Maybe the orgies were part of the cult meeting, though. Like, they can go hand in hand. That's the ascension. <laughs> I, I've never done meth myself. I've been around a lot of meth. And uh, I didn't, like, I don't think that a bathrobe is your typical, like, meth uniform. Um, although, basically, anything's a meth uniform. So, like, ba- maybe those, like, they, they were able to, like, snag six bathrobes from the Goodwill for real cheap. And that's just, like, where how they're rolling out nowadays. Because that, that, that helped them save more money for meth. Because they're... You know, they're efficient. And I just got to say, if we all had that level of gumption and the acceptance for us as the way we are that they had, maybe the world would be a better place. <laughs> so after I delivered the pizza to this man with the powerful bait and hunger, <laughs> uh, I called my mother. Because who else do you call in these times of uh, strife and misery? Actually, it's because she has a, uh, a master's degree in criminal psychology. And I wanted to know about the psychology of a man watching pornography in full view of his pizza delivery guy. And she's like, oh, it was probably like he wanted you to see that he was watching porn. Like, he digs that. That's his thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's gross. And that was like the end of it. Like, I I don't even really consider it, you know, if that's what makes you happy and I can be part of it without having to touch you like at all or interact. That's cool. That's fine. Go for it. Same for all the little pain piggies in the uh, in the Esther chat. Like, if that's your thing, whenever I temp ban you for annoying me, if you dig that, cool. As long as I don't have to really interact with this situation, fine with it. And that's my official I'm just, stance. I'm just going to say I've been here for I, maybe six or seven minutes and I'm already completely overwhelmed by the bombardment of information that I've just received. That's real professional for you. Yeah, that's, that's how professionals work. Did you not? This is life's in the games industry. Yeah. Sir. Did you not listen to any old episodes to get a, a frame of like what we do here? <laughs> did nobody uh, bore him? I may not have. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's funny too for a lot of people that like work with us because when I when people that are listening to this pod or that see me casually and like movie and other things like that they don't understand that like when i'm working i tend to be like rather serious and like that we are like a serious company that like does things right like so whenever we do the pod and i'm like i delivered sandwiches to an orgy they're like what (laughs) it's a very different relation you don't imagine like if you're working for activision that bobby oh okay never mind because bobby kotick had the child porn shit but like you don't imagine that like the boss of the company is going to come in and like start cracking jokes you know it's one of those weird things like um we have a, we have a work chat. We have you know we all have jobs with the company. We're all doing important work, and we're all very business like in those interactions. Uh, the pod is just kind of a way for us to talk with developers and other people from around the gaming industry. And the conversations usually do eventually get serious, but like the first twenty to thirty minutes is usually just riffing on orgies. Or I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> I, I could I could sit back with some popcorn right now and just take in the show. I was gonna say, did you expect like a very serious like Werner Herzog podcast? Or it's like don't... I don't know. I was I did one yesterday that was very um the, the, that was very just like straightforward. I'm gonna ask you some questions and you're gonna answer them and maybe oh, we'll talk between. That's an interview. That's not a. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it was, it was, I, I was on a podcast yesterday actually for for my album that I just launched. Oh, did you launch an album, Abby? You should tell us about it. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Are you performing soon? Yes. Uh, I have a gig tomorrow night at uh, 7th Street, 1st Avenue, Minneapolis, so that's and cool. It is killing me that I cannot be there, but we will all be there in emotional support. Yeah. I bought I a purple. That. I bought a purple rain shirt today, so I'm, I'm out here repping wow. Minneapolis. 
What's the yeah, what's the you, album uh, called? It's called Prohibition Hippie. Um, Prohibition Hippie. And I'm, I'm under the stage name Speak Easy, but not spelled like Speak Easy, spelled like with a Z and an I-E at the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm anyway, gonna... I would... You spelled it like a gamer name. Well, the only reason why I did that was because Speak Easy was already taken as an artist's name. Plus, I, I've really learned to like uh, like the way that I ended up spelling it because like now people don't think I'm like a 1920s tribute band or something. Right. So that's cool. But um, yeah, I was on this podcast uh, yesterday and like it kind of like I, I realized just how wacky our podcasts are because I, I went and did that podcast. and I was like, this is so tame. Um, it feels it feels like very on topic and. I was just kind of like, wow, what a difference. <laughs> so Every, everyone's like, kind of like an you mean interview. the other podcast wasn't going into Jimmy John's orgies? <laughs> no, and I was a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Fucking Abby over here. Every time we do a pod, she messages me like, you're going off traffic. You fucking suck. Why do you talk so much? And then as soon as I'm not there to bring the levity, she's like, I never say these things. <laughs> she's so mean to me in DMs and she just, she wants to destroy my confidence. But then she goes on another pod and she's like, please, Ted, I just wish there was someone here to talk about farts for 15 minutes. So and I'm like, Abby, I will well, always, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say farts. that, but uh... if, if you want like the Batman begins uh, short version of how this came to be, it's, like whenever Ted put me in charge of like bringing back the podcast, I looked at the podcast I enjoy, which are like my brother, my brother and me, uh, last podcast on the left, under understood stuff like that, like more conversational, chill podcasts. Like we will get in. We Connor, don't worry. We will talk about your games and we'll talk about your music too. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't even care about getting into that. I want to hear more of the stories. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. It's real well, true. you know, actually, it's so funny because I, I can actually merge the silly with the funny because, uh, Connor, I do actually have some questions about, like, design philosophy because you're younger, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm 20. Yeah, so like you're part of, like, a different kind of, like, we are... It's so funny because, like, I'm 32 and I have to, like, constantly remind myself that I'm not young anymore. Like, obviously, I'm not old in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, Abby calls me old man all the time and you can't deny that one because you do. Okay, um, no, that one I definitely say. Yeah. I, I'd I, say that to your face and in front of anyone and everyone. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but, like, my my design ethos and philosophy, like, you know, it's evolving always, but I, I have a, a different foundation than uh, new younger people. And um, I, I think that that manifests in kind of, in kind of different ways. And um, I, I, I don't know, Jan's, do you have an agenda, or should I just jump into to my stupid story about uh, Conquest of Elysium? Because I think it'll, it, it fits in. Oh, well no, no, ab pod. absolutely. Like, um... I put in the podcast chat kind of like the things that we need to know, like the things you need to know about Connor Rush. Um, so I don't have much of an agenda, you know, just, yeah, talk about Conquest of Elysium. I know you really wanted to and didn't get to last time. Yeah, no, so uh, Conquest of Elysium. Okay, does anyone know what Conquest of Elysium is before I start? I do not. So it's it's like you don't need to know specifically what it is, but you will know the archetype of what I'm kind of talking about early on in this discussion. So it was a Kickstarter game that got a little over a million dollars and it was supposed to be an open world survival crafting MMORPG where it had this big open world kingdom. Everyone was in the same kingdom and that you could build your own houses and plot out your own land and you'd have your own economy and you could be a trader or a, you know, a warrior. And then you'd have generations and those generations would like, you know, your character would age in game and then pass off their, 
their skills to another generation. So like that's kind of how they kept things balanced, but also rewarded long-term players is like you pass on these generational traits, but you know, you'd once again start off at a, like a baseline so that, you know, it wasn't just seven players dominating the whole game. So it was, it was that, it was that style of game, you know, that, that kind of open world fantasy project that existed in, uh, I think it was kickstarted in 2014. I need to look up the exact date on that. Conquest of Illyria. Sorry about that. Uh, Chronicles of Illyria. Sorry. Fuck it. It's, they're all named the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's all the same. It's like Conquest or Chronicles or the Fires or Ashes of Centuries, Centuries of Eternity. Like, if I just, like, put three words together, you're like, yep, that's probably one of those open world survivor crafting games. All right. All right. I got images loaded up. Here we go. Yeah. So it's Chronicles of Illyria. There we go. And it was, it was like I said. And um, it, it kind of, like, it got, like, kickstarted um, uh, in uh, fucking years ago uh let me look up the wikipedia real quick i should have 2016 yeah 2016 is when the kickstarter happened it was supposed to release in 2017 because you know you can make an mmo in a year that's fucking easy as shit you know um and uh basically you know it didn't happen and it kept getting delayed and it kept getting delayed which you know there's a lot of these kickstarter projects that do you know it originally like got like 1.3 million dollars um, and then the, you know, basically they had a number of other fundraising events that raised another $7.7 million. And uh, basically, you know, it never happened. It never came to fruition. And they kept seeing, like, kind of new versions of the game kind of come out and then not get put into full, full fruition. So it'd be like, they'd, they'd box out an area and it would look pretty decent, but then there would be no real interactivity there. And so when they finally started revealing, like, what the game would look like when it's fully functional, it looked, it looked like fucking RuneScape, right? And their original images looked more like Valheim. You know, it's like it's like a completely different game that they were getting. And uh, people were really fucking pissed because obviously, I mean, you can't... I know that 1.3 and even like... I, I know that even like 8, 9, 10 million dollars is a lot of money. But to make an MMO, it takes like 50. Like you need way more than that. And that's like to make an MMO that's probably just going to get killed by WoW in a day, you know? And uh, I think the, the original development budget of World of Warcraft is like 80-something um, million. And so, like, you, and that's and the original WoW, you know, like... And that's where the original WoW, you know, like, compared to now, right? Like, the original WoW had so much less in it. And so the development cost... And, and development costs were less back then, so it's like, you know, what, what would it cost now? And um, But the reason... One of the big reasons that uh, the game tanked is because a number of publishers came to them and be like, okay... We'll pick up your game, but, like, we need to add microtransactions into it. And, uh, you know, we need to be able to, so that people can buy loot boxes or cosmetic items or things like that. Something that's going to allow us to bring in more money than just the subscription model and that for payment. Because this is that's just how much it's going to, what it's going to take, you know. Unless you're World of Warcraft big, and even World of Warcraft now sells cosmetics with their fucking pet shop. But, like, you know, you're not going to be able to make your money back on an MMO um, because they're so expensive to make. And they were like, no, our moral standpoint here is that we are not having any microtransactions in the game, which is a little bit quaint in retrospect, considering that now, if we look at the current landscape of MMOs or games in general, most games have a form of microtransaction now. And even so, there's like a lot of MMOs where that, that microtransaction model is like expected and accepted. 
Uh, look at Lost Ark. I can't fucking play Lost Ark because there's so many microtransactions. But that's the point, is that like the game is designed to bounce players off that are against microtransactions. Because it is a game where you make microtransactions. And then you look at something like Smite or League of Legends or any of these MOBAs, and like there's a ton of microtransactions in terms of like skins. And like, by the way, back then, like 2016, you know, skins were in full effect. I mean, League of Legends, I remember playing it back in like, you know, 2009, 2010. But around that time, there was this big debate about are microtransactions good in games? And I think that we as a society have kind of gotten to the point where we're like, not all microtransactions are good. Like the loot boxes in Battlefront 2 were pretty egregious. Um, but that, you know, there's a way to do it right. And what I, what I, what I, what I, is that a correct assessment? Like, you know, Connor, you're a younger guy. When you think, oh, this game has microtransactions, are you as turned off as when you hear that this game has NFTs? I, I think I'm honestly in the minority of um like people my age i am I'm, I'm pretty firmly um not cool with a lot of microtransactions and i i'm in the mindset that if you buy a game and I, this is coming from like a paid game if you're getting like a paid mm-hmm. game for like 30 bucks it should not be filled with microtransactions and that's just my opinion especially stuff that's going to change gameplay if things are going to alter mm-hmm. gameplay like mm-hmm. no well that's what i mean obviously i'm not talking about pay to win games like world of tanks or something like that i'm talking about like yeah sorry go ahead even like games with an economy that emphasize that you get microtransactions, I think is a bit scummy, especially if it's a paid game. Right. And I, I think that, you know, like I was saying with Lost Ark, like I bounced off Lost Ark because of the number of microtransactions. Obviously, there's other people that like that. What I'm saying is that there's ways to do microtransactions that are not scummy. You know what I mean? I, I think that if you have a one, a free game, so so get rid of that paywall now and then have an economy that would allow you to not use microtransactions, then I think it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, um, <clears throat> you know, even DLC at a time was considered to be a form of microtransactions, like uh, obviously with horse armor, but um, you're probably, you probably uh, don't remember this, but one of the Witcher 3's claims to fame, when, uh, sorry, Witcher 2, one of Witcher 2's claims to fame was that all of their DLC was free. They're like, we're not going to do DLC. We don't do DLC. Because DLC was the big argument back then about DLC is bad. Because why isn't the game coming in out of the box? And I think now people are like, people look forward to DLC now. They're like, oh, it's an expansion for my game. This is great. Obviously, some DLC is better than others. And microtransactions are essentially just an extension of DLC, right? Uh, I think for, in a sense, so so some DLC I think is done right, some is not. I think if you have a game that you've made and then like take a part of that game and just cut it behind a paywall before you release it. That's like not cool. Right. Let's say you make your game and you have like something you can do after. Like there's a story that you can tell that you didn't delve into when you first released the game and they make it after the game is out. If that's a thing that's like coming later and wasn't just like pushed off to the side so that people would have to pay more later. Like, I feel like that's different. Hmm. Well, yeah, no, obviously. I mean, I'm not talking about ga- like games that like cut their content and have to sell it as like multiple map packs. And I think game, um, it was, I think Street Fighter five or four. Right. They had the on disc DLC like that came with the first launch of the game. Right. And that was the same with uh, Injustice and stuff where they came out with um, like the, uh, the it was like Dark Side was on the disc. We had to have pre-ordered the game in order. To I, get I did not know that. I, I, I mean, I might be wrong there. So please don't come at me Injustice fans if I'm incorrect. But I think that that was the case. Off topic, but I watched that movie last night, the Injustice movie. Oh, how was it? Uh, it was fine. 
I'm a big fan of of the Zack Snyder's The Justice League movies. I, I, everyone makes fun of me for it, but that's just who I am. <laughs> but anyways, back to kind of the point I was making is that, you know, these are still debates that we have. And I'm not going to say, like, oh, these are debates that we don't have. What I'm saying is, is that gaming in general has kind of gotten to a place where, like, there are proper ways to do DLC and microtransactions, even if you don't like them. Like, there's a way to do it right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, there definitely is. But, but what I'm saying is that I think that the current zeitgeist around NFTs is that there's, like, there's no way to do them right in a game at this point. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like I don't know anything about NFTs as much as I've seen them because I, I understand, like, the general concept, but I still don't get it. No one gets it, man. I think that my point, my, the point I'm making is that the zeitgeist around uh, NFTs is like we are at a point now where like people will not work for a company that makes NFT shit, you know. I'm, and I'm kind of in that boat. Oh yeah, no, no. I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, uh, what I'm saying is is that it's quaint to me that like the reason that Chronicles of Illyria like didn't get to full fruition is that they're like we're not going to do microtransactions. Because it seems to be that, like, they could have solved a lot of their problems by, like, okay, shit. Like, the reality of the world is that we're not going to get this done. And better than squandering $9 million of funding that our fans gave us. Because, like, keep, keep in mind, this is not money that, like, went back to the fans when the game went defunct. You know, they kept that $9 million. So instead of taking $9 million to make a project, they took $9 million and then spent it, you know, on... But I do believe they spent it on the development. But you're left with no product. And I think that a lot of people are in that position where they go, well, I can either do this or I can like bite the bullet and, you know, change my financial model a little bit. And I'm saying like, you know, there's ways to do it where you're like, okay, DLC for, or microtransactions for, hey, you want your horse to have a hat on it, pay $2 for a horse with a hat on it. Which frankly, personally, I don't really care about cosmetic microtransactions because it doesn't affect the gameplay. Like as long as you're not affecting the gameplay, I don't, I don't particularly care. As long as the baseline experience isn't like prohibitively bland, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think I think even the cosmetic stuff though, I, I there I think there should be a way that you can earn it realistically. Yeah, no, no, I, I mean I think that, but now we're getting into the debate of how to best implement it. Whereas I think that uh, when I look at like NFT stuff, it's like right now the the current zeitgeist in a lot of the, the gaming community is like never fucking do it. I will not work for a company that do, does it. We are never going to do it. And I think that it's interesting because that was that level of vitriol that we see in a lot of communities now for NFTs is the same vitriol that we saw for microtransactions and is the same vitriol we saw for um, like uh, 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 DLC. It's also the same vitriol we saw for like DRM back in the day. I don't know if anyone's still debating about DRM at this point. Um, I don't think anyone likes DRM. Real, real quick, um, I, will, I will call out Techland. I love Techland. Like, don't get me wrong. I think they're an excellent company. But I had, you know, I had that um, that internet outage around the time that Dying Light 2 launched. And I had the game previously for review, but and I had played it about 40 hours, and I went to start it without internet, and it's like, oh, sorry, you know, it patched a day before release, and we added some, some anti-piracy measures, so now the game's got to verify online before you can play it. And it's like, oh, oh thanks, thanks, Techland, for adding that in a, <laughs> a day before launch. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. And I, I it's so funny because there's, like, all these, like, features that, like, people have, like, had issues with before and that some of them have, like, gotten smoothed over. Some of them have, like, are better than they used to be because it used to be that, like, some DRM would just, like, fucking crash your computer. 
Like, I remember back in the early days when I was playing, like, Bet on Soldier and shit like that. That's an old fucking game. That's probably older than you are. And, uh, like, the DRM for that would just destroy some computers. And, like, there's 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 been these, like, kind of cycles of, like, you know, horse armor being... It's so funny, though, that, like, we're, we're still... Like, horse armor is still the go-to... Oh, I guess go-to for people my fucking age about, you know, DLC that's bad. When, realistically, now they sell horse armor for even more expensive than that in basically every game on the fucking planet. Um, What's horse armor? I remember being something, oh like, crazy. Oh, my God, I feel so fucking old right now. Horse armor. Like, four ninety nine. Yeah, it was, like, five bucks. And it... Well... It was kind of like the first foray into paid DLC uh, with Oblivion, and it's like horse armor and people. So I'm I've got a very old man mindset. I'm 32, and for a long time I, I hated the idea of DLC and I hated all of that paying for that microtransactions. And I thought whenever I was younger, whenever I, and I pulled out my suspenders from my chest and I let them snap back down. And I go whenever I was younger, you bought a game and it was finished. And that is true to some extent. Whenever I would buy a game on the PlayStation 2 or on the Super Nintendo or on my original PlayStation, the, that was the game. That was what you got. And now I look at it today and I look at post-launch cycles and things like that continued support from the developers long after launch. And it made me realize, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to kick them some extra money for DLC. And it all comes down to a question of intent. When, whenever you look at on-disc DLC... They can fuck off. Like, you made it during the development cycle of this game. Fuck off. Like, I'm not... I don't like that. But uh, to go back to Techland, the original Dying Light, um, they came through with one of the biggest and most meaningful pieces of DLC, the following, which is essentially a whole standalone campaign um, on par with the original full game. And that's DLC that wasn't on the disc. It was something they made afterwards. And their support continuing on past release is one of the best in the business. They've already they've already said that they're going to do five five years of post-launch content for Dying Light 2. So I think it all comes down to intent, and also I have to look at that post-launch support. You know, if you bought Red Faction on the PlayStation 2 in 2005, 2004, whatever, that was it. You just, that was the game. That was all of it. Uh, no one was doing a post-launch support, and you go back as far as the Nintendo 64... If something was wrong with that game, you had to do another full-ass printing of the game cartridge, or people just had to deal with it. And I think we take for granted the post-launch support that we're afforded these days by developers. Right, I mean, the, the, the downside of our techno-dystopia that we currently live in is, you know, that we're going to get nickeled and dimed for everything until we're, we're reduced to husks of, of humans. And that's the, the dark timeline, but the positive timeline is that, like, you know, we, we we are now able to do things with games we were literally never able to before, like life service games and things like that. And sure, there's the bads of it, but there's also the goods of it. Like, there are, like, I guess that, like, EverQuest has been around for what, Abby? You're playing EverQuest right now. It was 37 years. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Since but yeah, the I mean, 90s, I believe. Yeah, but even EverQuest has, like, adopted a lot of, you know, what we can do with 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 online accessibility now um you know you don't have to go to the you don't have to go to the store and buy a disc every time there's a new expansion you know that's so quaint to even think about like when's the last time i bought a pc game in a fucking store you know 
And I totally, it's funny you should mention that, Ted, because I was like downloading like a private EverQuest server recently and I totally forgot. Remember when you used to like get games and they came with like six or seven discs sometimes and yeah, you're yeah, downloading yeah. shit and time to insert disc number two and you're like, all right, here we go. Well, um, you know, I found like a free downloadable version online of that. And so you had to do it in your files, though, instead of actually inserting a disk. I don't even think computers come with disk holders anymore. But yeah, I, know, right? I was like, I was like, what the fuck? I totally forgot this was a thing until until recently. Um, it just blows your mind. Yeah, but I think that, you know, the and that's true. It's like it's like so funny to like look back on the old days and be like, wow, this is, like, what we used to, to do just to, like, play our fucking games. Um, and then, like, oh, God, do you remember, like, the old days of trying to mod games was, like, I don't know if this is going to break my entire game forever. Like, <laughs> every time you drop a mod in, you're, like, rolling those fucking dice, and now we have, like, Steam Workshops and mod managers. So there's, you know, there's, like, the progress has not only been negative. I think we tend to focus on the negatives and, like, the progress just because that's just kind of how, um, like, negativity sells. And, uh, but there's been, like, a lot of positives in the progress also. And, you know, the reason I'm bringing up uh, Chronicles of Illyria as this, like, counterexample with, like, a, a game where, like, basically, it, it to me smacks of a very much of a amateur fan project. It's like, hey, we are never going to do microtransactions in this game because that is our moral standpoint. We would rather waste your $9 million. And it's like a very closed-minded thing because like if I got $9 million for a game, right, I am telling you that like if I had to put microtransactions in the game to get over the line, I would do that because I owe that $9 million to the people that fucking supported me. You know? Like I have to put my own bullshit in check. And the fact that they basically let their $9 million game die because of like this conviction against something that like even people that don't like it are like, yeah, I mean, I can see it done well. And that's kind of how I, I'm like, but I'm, I'm, so I'm trying to apply that lens again with NFTs, but I just don't see it. Cause like, I don't see, I don't see how NFTs are going to be the, and that's what people, a lot of people are saying is like, the, the reason I bring it up is a lot of people are saying that like NFTs are going to be the, like they're here to stay. There's too many people already invested in it and companies like Ubisoft are already using it. So it's going to be there forever. And I'm like, I don't see that. Like, I don't see it like I do with DLC. Because, like, DLC, yes, it, it exists to make the company money, but it also exists to actually provide a useful service to the player. When done right. Like, DLC can be done right. And if DLC is done right, people like it. If they don't like it, then you have, you know, another $100 Call of Duty Battle Pass that's going to give you four maps, and you go, okay, why did I spend $100 on this? Um, and, that's, and that's, like, the nature of, of DLC is, like, you can have good DLC, but I don't see the implementation of NFTs in a realistic way. I mean, some people are saying like, oh yeah, no, you can get an NFT Master Chief skin and that's going to go in every game you play. So every game you play, you're going to be Master Chief in it. And I'm like, do you realize how fucking impossible that is? Like, yeah, wait, who's saying that? That's what the crypto bros are saying. Like, that's the argument for why NFTs are good is because it gives you- literally impossible. Yeah, the only way you could do it is if you do it in the metaverse and all the games are built on the same infrastructure and have like the same like compatibility with the same models. And then you basically have what you have with Roblox, which is that there's a limited functionality to what you can get from a Roblox game because they need to make it so that like all the characters are like basically there's a standard set of tools that you can use. Right. And, and that way you can do it. But then that would require every game on the planet to be made with the same set of tools and have like not have custom animations that need to interact with other things and not like, you know, be a level of detail that's going to fuck with the, uh, uh, the render of like other characters. It's like, it's so fucking dumb. And I'm like, okay, well like then what, what is the value of this? Oh, you can resell 
your in-game stuff. And I can see that, but I think that, like, there's other ways to do that than with specifically the blockchain or with, with NFTs. And, like, it, it just seems to me to be an extension of a third-party product. Like, DLC in games is, like, a unique thing that exists because games want to deliver content to gamers. Like, you don't have DLC for movies, right? Like, you have special features on a disc, but, like, you don't have, like, oh, I guess you do have, like, deleted scenes and stuff, but, like, no one fucking cares about that. Like, you know, you're not going to go pay $5 to see, you know, an extra two minutes of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, like, not not by and large. Whereas, like, DLC has been much more largely adopted to games because it's, like, a functional way to get more content out for a game over time. Whereas, to me, I don't see the function of NFTs. And so it really makes me wonder, and this is kind of my big think point that I would I would love all of our listeners to think about, um, when when people talk about like the the mass adoption of NFTs, you know what? Why why would that happen? And we're basically saying this is going to happen because our corporate overlords have said so. But our corporate overlords also said everyone's going to be playing VR and have three D TVs. And how many people have three D TVs? And the VR marketplace is like, you know, pretty fucking small, because people just don't want to put a big thing on their head to play with friends. Like I like VR. Abby likes VR. But like overall. Like, you know, we have we, we, we have fun if we play it together, but like it's it's not mass adopted. And I don't think it will be until there's like a full console that's just VR. I mean, I guess Oculus Quest tries to do that, but the point I'm trying to make here is that like all the things that we worry are gonna like destroy the industry, there's been a number of them over time. Oh, this is gonna fundamentally change or completely change games. And to me, it's like always gonna be from the standpoint of like, is this actually going to provide a useful service to players? And the reason that people get mad when microtransactions are like misappropriated is that you're basically taking what could be a useful service and using it to to to, to squelch money out of players. Um, when it could be used to deliver, you know, cool content. And and make a little bit of money in a non scummy way. Does that make sense, Connor? Do, do, am I making a, is my point make is coming across? I, because I'm, I mean, again, I'm against the whole NFT thing, and I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't see how it could um, be of any use, like in game, and how it would serve any purpose to a player. Mm-hmm. What what was what was um, I've done like a deep dive recently, and this sounds like a total offshoot of what we we're talking about, but it, it's going to come back. Um, I've done. I'm a fan a, of those. Let's do it. I got the journey buddy. dive into um, horror games marketed to children, mm-hmm. and that that's been like my YouTube essay rabbit hole recently. And it talks about stuff like Five Nights at Freddy's, um, Hello Neighbor, and how it's kind of like um, cheapening the horror genre as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and the issues therein with that. But one game that gets discussed a lot that has become a new proponent of that issue is, and you've probably seen Poppy's Playtime. Oh yeah, I've played Poppy's Playtime. That I don't know the whole story behind that. And I, I was interested in it because I thought, oh, this looks kind of okay. Uh, looked it up and the reviews were like awful. And I didn't know why. So I started scrolling through the Steam page and apparently the company is selling lore NFTs. Yes. Yeah, this is this is a thing that happened where basically they were selling NFTs where if you got all 10 of them, then you could like reveal something special. That's absurd. And yeah, this is a game marketed towards children. Right. In its essence. So like, are they expecting children to buy NFTs? Well, that's the interesting thing about um, games like Poppy's Playtime, which is actually, uh, you know, we can kind of 
you can tell me if I'm going on too much about this, but Poppy's Playtime is is an interesting style of game because it's clearly meant to appeal to children, but the the, the people that support the infrastructure of children's content are adults. Like, the people that stream games that, like, kids watch their streams are adults. And the people that, like, make their lore videos, those are adults. It's not kids making those. And so when you drop these lore NFTs, basically what you're doing is you're, you're, you're pricing a piece of content that if those who want to make those style of videos want to interact with the content, they have to pay a premium. So it's like a kid buying Ploppy's Playtime will probably only drop five bucks on it because the game is only $5. But someone that's like making a lore video for the deep dive is going to drop 80 bucks on each of these fucking NFTs or however much it is now. I don't know how much they are, but like that's the plan. I think it didn't work out too well. I think that they, they canceled their NFT bullshit. Um, but yeah, they got dragged before it and for good reasons. I could, I could never imagine a studio releasing story as NFT. I just think it's ridiculous. I, I, I talked to, uh, Josh Corngut about this whenever I went on his podcast to talk about the five nights at Freddy's movie. Um, that Five Nights at Freddy's lore wasn't ever really a thing as planned by Scott Cawthon. Uh, he took, you can look back, he took all of his cues for story development from YouTube theorists. It was kind of an organic thing where he just went, yeah, maybe. Which is, is, is great as a creator. If someone has a theory, you go, ah, could be, who knows. But now you're getting this wave of games like Poppy Playtime, uh, Bending the Ink Machine, other, you know, kid horror. And they're trying to just jam-pack it with lore for, you know, to get that Five Nights at Freddy's bump. So, you know, I think I think it's discussing the, like, horror for kids. I want to clarify that I think FNAF did it well. I I think FNAF did it just fine. I think horror for kids, in general, it's a concept that I like. Because oh, yeah, I feel like there's not enough horror directed to the little ones. And I don't mean I don't mean like set your kid down and make them watch Sallow. I just mean like kids love to be scared. I have a niece that's three years old. She's dressed up as a Frankenstein the other day. Like she loves horror. Kids love being scared. Everybody loves being scared for the most part. And I feel like we, we gate a lot of that off to kids, and so it is going to be things, even if they don't have the best intentions, like Poppy Playtime and their NFTs, you know, we've kind of gated it to where it's these specific few franchises that are geared towards, you know, kind of family-friendly scares. There's no gore in Five Nights at Freddy's or Poppy Playtime. that I, I haven't played Poppy Playtime, but I don't think there's gore. Um, but whenever we sequester the kids into the space and we go, these are the you know, no one's making anything for you. It, it allows companies that are going to do bullshit like NFT lore to fill that space. And that's why everyone should play My Friendly Neighborhood. No, um... It, it, is, not, it is actually very good. <laughs> no, like, uh, that... Like, whenever you... Like I was saying, whenever you set kids in this corner and you say, you don't get to enjoy horror, you're not old enough for horror, the only people that are going to be providing them horror on a small scale like that, some of them might not have the best of intentions. And I'm not saying every company I, needs to turn around and make kid horror like all of a sudden, but it's something to consider whenever you're making a horror game. You know, how does this play to the 12 to 16 year olds? I think it's, um, 
I think there is a double-edged sword to it, though, because I think that kid horror has become such like a big thing in the market that it is almost driving where the market is going for horror content. Because I've been watching a lot of stuff about Hello Neighbor, just like the business of it and how like it progressed. And it wasn't originally set to be like that. It, it was stylized, and there was that cartoony look to it, but it, it was like at its core a good game. Oh, yeah. That they That as it went, they started taking more of these that they saw in five nights at freddy's which to clarify was not marketed at children at the start that just kind of happened right like that that was that was a progression that just sort of occurred and i guess they rolled with it um hello neighbor is oh go ahead Connor. hello neighbor continued to really try to pander and appeal to that audience as it went and got worse for it yes the the and, initial trailers for hello neighbor showed a stylized but still tense and scary experience and as time went on and they continued to pander to fans and you know and tiny build reaching out to the game theorists like please please look at our game please that was so funny um the tweets are hilarious yes and they get circulated Matt, Matt gonna love this one <laughs> yeah they get circulated pretty often in our discord <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it got worse for that. So I think there is a line that you need to toe where it's like, do I want to go full on make kids have it? Because here's a spoiler for everyone: kids don't buy fucking games. Like, no, they don't have money. I'm assuming I didn't have money as a child. Uh so you're looking at if you want to go full on, hello neighbor, you're in for a bad time. You better hope you can recoup it on merch sales for holidays. But I think a lot of um, a lot of the horror development now is trying to capitalize on that what Five Nights at Freddy's was able to do, and I, I think it's um, I, I don't know I, I I'm trying to think of where I'm taking this point. <laughs> it's 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 almost cheapening in a way. No, I think it's I think it's you know, I think that. Um... The problem is, is that when you have something like like uh, what Hello Neighbor did, is that they're kind of, it's it's the same issue that we actually previously kind of had with uh, marketing our games, is that like the more and more you go and try to appeal to like social media, the less that you feel like you're making an authentic expression. Like when people find art, they like to feel like they're taking part in uh, discovering something cool, right? They don't like to feel like they're being sold to and they don't feel like they're being pandered to. And this is kind of what I th why I think that like Resident Evil is so successful as a horror franchise because <clears throat> you know basically there's a lot of franchises where like the fans have dominated so much of the discourse something like Five Nights at Freddy's where like all these fan games are coming out but Resident Evil has always like there is no question that Resident Evil is Capcom's thing. They have always like they keep coming out with product, they come out with a shitload of product, like they keep coming out with Resident Evil games. They've been kind of, like I think that we're on Resident Evil game 28 by now or 29 and like the, you, they are Resident Evil, and you never know exactly what you're gonna get. They listen to the fans and they deliver them things that they want. They're not gonna kill a main character. They'll kill Ethan because he's only been in one game. But Chris isn't going anywhere. We're not losing Jill. Fucking Albert Wesker has died twelve times now. He's still gonna fucking come back. All your favorites are there. They're gonna deliver new shit, but it's always gonna be like with an eye towards what fans want. So it doesn't fucking matter if a bunch of people complain that Resident Evil Seven was like a new perspective. All the fans still bought it. And they brought in a new audience because they're looking at 
the data, not just what people are saying on Twitter. If they just listened to what people were saying on Twitter, <clears throat> they would just be making the same Resident Evil game over and over again as their fan base dwindles and as the, the vocal fans praise them more and more. But the thing is that like you can't build your entire community just on the vocal fans. You have to figure out what it is that the audience that you, the audience are trying to grow into wants and and appeal to that and try and well at least try to appeal to that. And um, I feel that what they did with Hello Neighbor is that like they kind of got so locked into oh this is what the fans are saying oh this is the, the fans are saying that they didn't realize that like that level of interest cannot be sustained in the long term. Um, you know, even with something like like Five Nights at Freddy's, like the reason that the five like the Five Nights at Freddy's fandom, regardless of what it is now, is not as big as it was five six years ago, and and that's okay. Like things naturally evolve and they they naturally like change, but like the and so the Hello Neighbor fandom, like basically they just kept trying to come out with more product for the Hello Neighbor fandom, like the Hello Neighbor TV show and Hello Puppets and Hello Neighbor 2, all of which haven't done done very well because, like, they haven't given a compelling reason to go past Hello Neighbor 1. And it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to visualize because fans, they want to be challenged in a certain way. They want their new games to be different. I mean, there's a reason that Assassin's Creed had to stop being... It's not even an assassination game anymore, you know? Like, it's something completely different. And they had to do that because it's like, or well, it's that or perish. And I feel that um, that's like in in the accelerated media cycle of the modern day, you know that that cycle of people getting interested and losing interest is is so quick. So and mm-hmm. so what you're saying is we need a Hello Neighbor battle royale. Yeah, exactly. We we need we need sixty four neighbors to drop in and all have to try to sneak into the same house. I'd play that. Where where are we dropping, in, yeah. boys? Yeah. Uh, yeah, mark it on the map. Um, speaking of games, though, let's talk about Connor's game. Yes, yes, sorry. You go ahead. Con- Con- Connor. Connor, Connor, talk about your games, quick. Yeah, Connor, uh, quick, talk what, about what your games. Game? Like game? I, have a, I have a few of those. Uh, let's, uh, I'd actually like to hear about, like, a little bit about um, your collection game, We Never Left, because uh, I yes. know people are excited to play that one. I want to hear about Summerland. Yeah, and and uh, some of your other titles as well. All right, so so we we never left. It is a am I, am I just running down a summary. It, it is yeah. a uh, pixelated first person slash text based horror game uh, that takes place in the year nineteen eighty three. Um, I, I I don't know how many details I want to give because I feel like the story itself is like part of the reveal. Uh, yeah, keep it <laughs> mysterious, you know. Yeah, it, in short, it is a pixelated eighties uh, horror game. Um, with that does mesh first person and classic text based gameplay. Did you ever play Buddy Simulator 1984? Oh gosh, that name is so familiar. I'm gonna look that up real quick. Yeah, it came out in uh, I want to say 2020, and it's kind of text based, where you have a virtual buddy, and it it's one of those things that I don't want to ruin the mystery of that, but it's kind of I definitely this is definitely familiar. I've not played it though. And um, what was that? one that the guys that did observation did uh house unrest something like that oh uh, wait wait from, uh, from um, stories untold about the untold stories anthology? yeah from stories untold that one yes yes that was my biggest inspiration for this uh and then there's the- there's clean suit there's lots of really cool text-based horror games and I'm, I'm glad that you're getting into that yeah my biggest inspiration was the the stories untold anthology and that's i got that only because it was on sale for like 75 percent off um, I was like, ah, why not? It's like two forty nine, 
and I, I downloaded it and I like fell in love with it. I played the whole thing in like one sitting. Same. It's um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a love letter to Stephen King via Stranger Things. Yes, and I, I wanted to kind of get those Stranger Things vibes as well. I, I love the like. I think like I'm appropriating the year, uh, but I, I love those like '80s aesthetics when used properly. I think it's overdone a bit now, uh, it's, but I, I think it could be done super it's well. It's fine. Uh, no one who is alive in 1983 is alive now. That's too far back. Yeah, no, that's that's ancient. It's technically like archaeology if you dig up someone that died in 1983. I think it's now officially archaeology instead of grave robbing. Hey, real quick question, completely yeah. unrelated to everything. When, Where's the line between grave robbing and archaeology? That's huh. a really good question. It's actually one of the best questions I've heard in a very long time, Jans. Thank you. You really like tickle. You tickled something. Inside yeah, that's me. one of those questions. To me, that I, I think that the big the biggest difference is where you, the artifacts end up. Yeah, that's that's a question that I've. It's one of those things that lives in my head rent free, where I'll just be thinking about it, like reading about you know we found a newly preserved body in this bog. That's like, how old is it? When does it become archaeology? Like Civil War is Civil War bodies are they are they free game now? Are the, are the people who would be upset about you digging up that body still around? Um, yeah, I think that could count these days. <laughs> Maybe that's the cutoff. Oh, but I will ask you, since I asked Nick, who is uh, your fellow colleague on the collection, uh, yes. what scares you, Connor Rush? Oh, God. I, I'm a uh, firm, like, existential crisis thinker. Like, like if I'm like sitting alone at night and I'm, I just, I'm, the thought crosses my mind of, man, what happens when you die? <laughs> well, then that, that's the stuff that terrifies you me. You really need to figure out where that cutoff is for uh, grave robbing and archaeology. Add that into your thought process. Like what happens after I die and when do I become archaeology? When, when, when am I allowed to be dug back up? Oh, if a scientist does it, it's archaeology. But if I do it, it's desecration of a grave site. This is bullshit. I'll put a note. I'll make sure a note goes on my body. Like if you're reading that, uh, this yeah. before the year 3000, whatever, put me back. <laughs> make me a time capsule. Yeah, for sure. Well, like, but uh, I was going to say, you look at stories of people digging up, like, like finding World War II dead still in places in, in, in Europe. And half the time it's like, remains were returned to family. The other half is like, we can study this to see what World War II is like. And it's like, where's the cutoff with you guys? I guess it's if they have family. If not, free game. So, uh, Connor, where, where do you get, you know, you being a young lad, where do you get your inspirations for scares and stuff? Like, what, what, do you, what, what kind of school of horror do you follow? I am so I'll I'll be totally transparent. I've never done horror before before this collection. Mm. This is my I've been a big fan of the genre. Like I love horror movies. I love horror games. Um, never attempted it before. Well, you're 20. There's a lot of stuff you haven't done yet. It's fine. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to try meth until I'm like 80. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but no, I I love um, at, at the risk of sounding pretentious. I love like art house slow burn horror. Mm-hmm. Um, some of, some of my favorite movies are like The Witch and The Lighthouse, um, like that that stuff. Like it, it's something it's like scratches my brain in a certain way that I I just really love it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny that you'd consider The Witch to be slow burn because to me that's a relatively. I mean, it's an artsy film, but it's like relatively action filled. It's, it's funny though because you're right. You're I mean you are correct that the 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 general zeitgeist is like 
oh, you know, this is like a slow burn horror. But when I think about it, it's more like, yeah, I, I think that it is actually because I, I, I'm used to like slow burn horror to me is something like Rosemary's Baby where nothing happens for like two hours and then there's like a cult. You know? I gotcha. I, I also really love the movie and I don't even know if you could call it horror. But I take a lot of inspiration from it, and it makes me very uncomfortable. Is uh, I am I, I'm thinking of ending things. It's a great movie. That's a good one. Yeah. Would you Would you consider that horror? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's 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 like a better um, encapsulation of that idea of like this uh, the Silent Hill ideal of like a a game that's or something that's about the psychological impact of things. I think I mean Charlie Kaufman has always been and been good at directing movies like that, like uh, Schenectady, uh, New York, and and Amalisa and stuff. You know, he's a very kind of strange guy. Um, I don't need to watch Anomalisa forever, and I just have not gotten to it. Yeah, he's a he's a great director. I mean, I love I love his work. Um, my probably my favorite one is Adaptation, uh, which was a yeah. uh, he wrote. He didn't direct. Fucking it. love Adaptation. Uh, yeah, really, really, really funny. But all of his stuff is like tinged with that kind of horror that's not anything jumps out at you but it is like fundamentally uncomfortable that's that's my favorite is when a movie like i i don't even think those movies make me scared i feel like they just make me feel weird Mm -hmm. like i don't watch the lighthouse and feel scared i watch the lighthouse and i'm extremely uncomfortable the whole time that's well i think i've yeah i was gonna say that's kind of how i feel about uh nightcrawler i love nightcrawler it's probably up there in my top 10 movies of all time but it's a very uncomfortable movie. Right, right. But horror is a weird genre too, because like, there's it's the only genre that people will say like this is not this genre. Like if you have a rom com, right, and no one's laughing, people are just gonna be like, oh, it's a bad rom com. Uh, they're not gonna say it's not a rom com. Like same with comedy. Like you know, comedy's a better example. Is like you know, you might not like the newest superhero movie. I, I'm, I'm literally talking about. I'm not talking about like Iron Man. I'm talking about the movie called Superhero Movie. You know, like that that kind of uh, who are the people that make those tra- terrible trash uh, the, parody the movies? Zucker, isn't it the Zucker Brothers? Oh yeah, the Zucker Brothers. Yeah, like they make this terrible trash, and um, like I hate it, but it's still trying to be a comedy. And like most people won't be like, oh, it's a comedy, but it sucks. Like horror is the only thing where like if you're trying to like approach a line of being creative or different, people are like, well, it's not horror. It's like people have an idea of what horror needs to be, and like realistically, the horror needs to be nothing. Horror is whatever makes you uncomfortable. And that's why Silence of the Lambs is the only horror movie that's won an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, despite the fact that uh, uh, fucking Hereditary should have won something. Hereditary is the most uncomfortable horror film I've ever seen. Like, whenever that movie yeah. ended, I yeah, was... Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I was just doing the death grip on the uh, on the armrests of my chair after that movie. That Hereditary is the only movie that I can think of, at least in recent memory, where I actually like had to take a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I paused it and I like walked away for a second. I'm like, I need to recoup myself before I continue this. Have you seen modern horror classic Horror in the High Desert? No. That's oh so good. It's the best film ever made. It's such probably. a slow burn like thrill ride. It's very good. No, it's. There, the, the, Jans is being a shit because we're all shits when we talk about Horror in the High Desert. No one, none, and we probably shouldn't shit on it too much because it was made by like one guy, you know, like so we, we should be aware of that. Um, but it is, it is the, it is my opinion. What's wrong with indie horror, and uh, which is that you have nothing happen for like an hour and a half, and then you have five minutes of action, 
And everyone's like, oh, that five minutes of action was totally worth it. And I'm like, well, no, it wasn't. Like, it, it, you might have had fun for that five minutes. But basically what the movie did is it lulled your brain to sleep for an hour and a half so that all you remembered was those five minutes. And I think that, um, you know, when I was... when I was, All right, yeah, uh, Connor, you ready for some old man wisdom? Are you ready to get old man wisdom? I, I was told something when in, 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 in college by a friend of mine named uh, William who uh, I used to teach a class with. And... Uh, he said something that has really stuck with me for a long time because it, it resonated with me, which is that people are so obsessed with doing something unique that they rarely think about doing it well. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. And if you look at a lot of like these horror games and if you look at a lot of like especially indie projects, you'll see, you'll notice that there's a difference between the ones that are trying to do something just different for the sake of being different and the ones that are thinking, how do I make this good? And... Yeah, and to me, there, there's there's benefit to both. Like, there's benefit to going out and just being like, I'm going to experiment. But at the same time, you can't get bitter when those experiments don't work. And I see a lot of people that are like, why does no one want to play my game that you can only play with your toes? It's like, well, because maybe you can only play it with your toes. It's cool that you did that. I like that you did that. Round of applause. No one's going to buy it. Just... Totally buy a game that you can only play with your toes. Yes, but you and I are not the gaming audience. You know what I mean? Like, you and I are, yeah. I would buy that up faster than any game that's out there right now to be to be honest i always joke about playing playing uh games with my feet so i watched a dude well, those games exist and you haven't bought them so i watched a dude on twitch no they don't you're lying dance dance revolution how many copies of dance dance revolution do you mm, know abby mm. thinking of using my feet on a mouse and uh -huh. yeah well you know you could always try i mean listen there there's there's a lot of alternate control schemes out there there's that game that's controlled by like using dildos on an arcade cabinet you know and, like, there's all kinds of cool, fun, unique, interactive games, you know? But, like, this is this is one of those, what I would say is, like, this is what you go to school for. You go to school to learn how to design that fun, weird shit so you can get your fun, weird shit out of the way while you're still being experimental. And then when you enter the workforce, you have to figure out how to utilize your skills at making that fun, weird shit to make something palatable so that people will buy it. And I think that a lot of people get bitter because their experiments aren't selling, and it's like, yeah, but you didn't think about is this fun to play? And you can't you can't force someone to care about your art at the end of the day. You have to get people to care about your art. Oh. And people caring about your art requires them to want to interact you, with them, You so. can force someone to care about your art. You just need a gun. That's true. Um, no, don't force people to... Connor, how many guns do you yeah. have? Not enough. Okay, good. Yeah, seriously. Uh, you gotta load up. Perfect baby. answer. Um, I did watch a guy on Twitch the other day beat the first boss of uh, Elden Ring with his feet. So, beat the change you want to see in the world. Uh, we're running up on the end of our hour. Actually, past it. Thanks, Connor. Um, Connor, where... I, it wasn't me <laughs> that went into the orgy pack, right? <laughs> you are party to it. You're culpable. But uh, where where can we find you on the internet at large? Uh, I am on Instagram as... Well, Connor W. Rush. Do you put the social links? Do I have to like save them off? You can. I mean, it's better to say them, and then we'll also. Yeah. Link them yeah. So, Connor underscore W underscore Rush on uh, Instagram, and all of my other accounts are linked through that, like uh, my company, my music. Um, I, I'm on TikTok very frequently as a Treasure Man, just one word. Uh, I have a website, FireGames.com. That's uh, F Y R E Games, and uh, I, I don't think I'm like missing much. I'm not, I'm not very active on Twitter. Uh, fire games. <laughs> that, that reminds me, I did have a, a question about uh, your music. Um, you, you have an album. And my question is, where is the Colossus coming? Wherever, wherever, wherever you want. All over my face. There we go. <laughs>
Um, beautiful fire music. games is beautiful is joke. that is that an offshoot of the fire festival? It's not, and I absolutely hate that everyone associates it. I had the name beforehand. I should add this is a real office space uh, Michael Bolton situation. Like I I, I had the name beforehand because I came up with this company when I was like eleven. Yeah, it sucks. And, it sucks uh, what people do. And I I, uh, I made the logo and everything. I was actually I, the company was publicly known at the time. It was I hadn't like had games. But I had like posts and everything, so the name was out there. So my working theory is that they stole the name. Sue them. Everybody else is. I didn't. I didn't have a, didn't have a copyright. I don't think I could. I could uh, pull it off. Be the now. It's just a copy wrong. Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. Abby, where can we find you on the internet at large? I am on the Twitter at ScrunchoG, on the Instagram at Scruncho.Speakeasy, and uh, on the TikTok at Speakeasy. And Ted, where can we find you? I, you can find me at DreadHenchkey. I rarely tweet unless it's the best tweets you'll ever see in your entire fucking life because it's 2am and I'm watching a shit movie and I'm just giggling about oh, it. Oh, I was cackling at those clips you were posting yesterday. Very <sighs> so good. good. Um, so good. You can find me at my on my personal account, at HorrorPlayed. Um, or you can find me on Twitter at DreadXP underscore, on Instagram at DreadXP Games, on TikTok, DreadXP Games, on Facebook, DreadXP. Uh, this podcast can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. I want to thank Connor for making time to come on the podcast and talk with us, even though he's like busy making mini games. I, I would like to thank Ted for making time as Thanks, well. Thanks, Ted. All right. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Connor Rush, play us out. Play, I don't, wait, wait, Connor, do? Connor Rush, out. play us out. Con, 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 I'm on the spot. I don't know Connor, play doing. us out. What does that play, mean? Play us out, Connor. Come on, man. I'm gonna, here, I'm going to make you a song. Hold okay. on. Damn, one second. On, Connor. People are waiting. Can you, can you still hear yeah. me? People need their song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, right, all right, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Thanks for coming, everyone.